Please be seated. And Happy New Year, Episcopal Church. For those of you who are perhaps new to our Episcopal tradition, or for those of you who may have simply just forgotten, today, this first Sunday of Advent, marks not only our countdown to Christmas, four Sundays till Christmas, but it also marks the beginning of a new liturgical year for our church. So I say again, Happy New Year. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. And if you have a discerning eye, you'll notice some uh, subtle changes in our space this morning and in the way that we worship. The words that we use throughout our service have now shifted. Much of the language in our text and in our hymns will now carry this emotion of deep yearning, of anticipation, of tension. We are now in the season of waiting, evident in the origins of that word, Advent. Advent, whose Latin roots, Adventus, literally mean the arrival or the coming of something. Not only has our text changed this morning, but the look of our church has a subtle different uh, flavor. The, the, there's new colors on our frontals here for the lectern and for the pulpit. Our, our candles are purple. Our vestments are blue and purple. This is a time of transition. And what is the deal with all of this? Why do we change the text? Why do we change colors? And why am I preaching about it as we embark on this dark road of Advent? Friends, all of this makes up one tiny slice of our liturgical way of practicing Christianity. It is our liturgy. This is our liturgy. If you have recently moved in the Episcopal Church, then you would probably hear that word a lot, but you might not know what it means. And if you've been an Episcopalian all of your life, you might know it, but you may have taken for granted the beauty, the function of liturgy, the way that we hold this worship so dear and the way that it holds us in return. Liturgy. At its most basic level, liturgy is the actions. It is the words. It is the symbols. It is the ritual that we perform. It is the scriptures, and it is the liturgical texts. It is the gestures. It is the vestments. It is the prayers that we speak. It is the songs that we sing as dictated by our traditions and by the Book of Common Prayer. Liturgy is shaped by the seasons of the church that we, uh, the church calendar year that we celebrate today. It is molded by the lectionary, the schedule of readings that we have, and it is marked by particular feasts and celebrations throughout our time. There are colors for each season. There is a specific language employed for each season of our calendar, and there are certain hymns that form the soundtrack and enhance the emotion of these church seasons that follow the story of God's people and of the life of Christ. This is our liturgy, holding us all together. And that is the basic function of liturgy. It holds us. It molds us. It remains largely the same every year, but each year we are different each time we encounter it. Each time we encounter a new transition like today, we are transformed. We are reminded, Advent, something is coming. Liturgy. Like many things in life, there is a complexity, there is a hidden depth to our liturgy. There is another layer of our liturgy that takes a little bit more time to appreciate. 
There is a layer of liturgy that makes the words of the pages and of the text, the sounds of music and the changing of colors, the taste of bread and wine or the smell of incense or of candles. It makes those things jump into our hearts and transforms us. Liturgy can be sacramental. That is, liturgy, not by mere human strength, but by the strength of the human spirit, by the Holy Spirit, it takes on the divine properties. If we let it, liturgy confronts us with outward and visible signs that reflect inward and spiritual realities of God's presence working in our lives. Liturgy, if we prepare room for it, if we let it work on us time after time, week after week, it can transform the mundane to extraordinary. Our liturgy calls us to remember, especially in this season of Advent in which we celebrate God's breaking into this world through some small child in Bethlehem, that human and finite mortal things, even things that are seemingly broken and unrepairable, can serve as vessels for God's grace and mercy. Something as simple as a different color of cloth. Something as ordinary as candles placed around a few wooden, trig, a few wooden twigs or, or pine twigs or branches. Something as humble as a few measures of music. These things can provide us a tiny glimpse of the face of God. Our liturgy is sacramental. One of my professors in seminary once told my class that liturgy is humanity's yearning for God and grace is God's yearning for humanity. I'll say that again. Liturgy is humanity's yearning for God and grace is God's yearning for humanity. And so it is today at this intersection of yearning and waiting, anticipation and grace that we arrive here on the first day of Advent in this new liturgical year. And we are confronted not only by this new expression of yearning in our church and in our service, but also by two people in the gospel who embody this beautiful and absurd notion embedded in our liturgy that the love of God can transform the ordinary to extraordinary, the broken and the shamed and all these unspeakable things to human vessels of divine grace and mercy. Zechariah and Elizabeth. What do we know about these people? If we look at the readings, we will realize that these are two ordinary people, just like you and me. They have been married for a long time. They are elderly. Elizabeth is from the line of Aaron, a line of priests. Zechariah is a priest who is serving at the temple. We know that they are righteous they live a blameless life. They follow the commandments and all of the decrees of the law. And yet despite all of this, they are unable to have children. Now the Bible will say it is because she is barren, but let us not forget that the Bible, the Bible was written in a time when it could never be the man's fault. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> this is important to notice. And it's also important to note that for a priest, for the wife of a priest, more than anyone else, barrenness was a sign. It was a profound disgrace. And it called her piety, it called her husband's piety into doubt. In a culture where the ultimate sign of favor from God was, was a child, was a son. 
So Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were living in this paradox. And it's a paradox that you might relate to in some way. They have done everything right. They live by the law. They attend the temple every day. They serve God. They serve their neighbor. But God does not bless them with what they truly want. I wanted you to take a moment and insert yourself into that scenario. And maybe you know someone who has been in that scenario or you have been in this scenario. But this is a place of darkness and a place of shame. I imagine that Zechariah and Elizabeth felt the pain of barrenness their entire life. I imagine that they struggled with it when new children were born into their communities, when they heard the cry of babies at festivals and feasts in their neighborhood. I heard, I imagine that uh, Elizabeth is struggling with the anxiety of not producing a child, and then there's this, this time of panic, and then there's this outright sadness and shame upon the realization that this might never happen. I imagine Zechariah receiving side-eyed glances at work from people at the temple. Perhaps he was even outcast from his family and his friends for fear that he might be not living a godly life. So we'll stay away from him. I think we can agree that Zechariah and Elizabeth were embedded in fear and anxiety and isolation. And perhaps there was even a place of anger with God. And yet, despite all of it, they still worshiped. They still practiced their faith. And one day, everything changed. One day in the temple, everything changed. Zechariah draws lots with the other priests on duty. He is chosen as the one who must enter the temple and light incense. And on his one day in the sanctuary, He is confronted by an angel, Gabriel, who brings him such good news that he is unable to speak, unable to comprehend it. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. It is worth noting here that Zechariah, even in in his old age, even in Elizabeth's old age, is still praying for this, this gift of a child, still hoping. Gabriel says, your prayer has been heard. The story continues onward, and we know the rest of this story. In the womb, there is now a baby, John the Baptist. Something incredible has happened here. Something miraculous has happened. A simple and faithful servant has been transformed to perform God's miraculous work in this world. It's worth noting the powerful words of Elizabeth at the end of this passage, especially if you have put yourself in her shoes. Elizabeth says, this is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably upon me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. In her words, you can hear the exasperation, the anguish and the tears and the panic and the anxiety fall away. These are the words of the redeemed, of the renewed, of the ordinary made extraordinary. These are the words of someone who never gave up even in the darkest night. I have questions about this gospel, and you might share some of these questions with me. Why was God silent for so long in the face of their prayers? 
Why did they have to endure years of sadness and anguish and anxiety? Why do bad things happen to good and faithful people? The gospel does not provide us any answers for this, not clearly anyways. But through reading the passage a few times, we are left with something to think on this week. Even in the darkest days, Elizabeth and Zechariah were faithful people. They never lost hope. Zechariah's prayers were confirmed amid worship. The story assures us that God works in mysterious ways and outside all notions of human time. God does not care about age. And it confirms that God hears our prayers, even if the silence answers us back. But perhaps most importantly in this text, it reestablishes the fact that God works through the most unexpected characters, the shamed, the downtrodden, the outcast, and the broken, to bring about the most miraculous events. Friends, as we begin this new liturgical year and start down this dark road of Advent, we, as we locate ourselves at the intersection of God's yearning and our yearning for God, we would be wise to remember the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Though we ourselves might be struggling with similar anguish, the barrenness of our own lives, whatever that might look like to you, we must not forget that God works wonders in faithful worship one day in the sanctuary can change everything. And that God is listening, crafting us as sacramental vessels, speaking to us in our liturgies, and bidding us into an age where like the seed in Elizabeth's womb, we will make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Happy New Year, Cathedral Church. Let us worship and wait for the hope that is to come. <clears throat>